Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, design verification can be somewhat tricky to navigate at times, and I think we have an overwhelming tendency to rely a lot on just testing activities. And sometimes the test makes sense. Sometimes we're doing it blindly. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as that role that a quality engineer might play during design verification during the R&D process on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, sometimes we get requests from fans, or I'm going to assume they're fans anyway, uh, things to talk about, things that you know, maybe we've covered a little bit before and could benefit from going into a little bit more depth. So I appreciate that feedback. Keep it coming. We do read those emails and those comments that you all provide. So from time to time, we'll roll these things in. And I think this is a good one because I think this is can be a little bit of, um, I don't know, a confusing or, or maybe a stressful topic. And, and the general topic that we're going to dive into today is design verification in the role of a quality engineer in R&D. And joining me to talk through some thoughts on this is familiar voice, Mike Drews. Mike is uh, president of Vascular Sciences. Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. So, you know, you and I were, before we started the, the episode, we were chatting a little bit and make sure we're on the same page. And it might be a good place to start. We started to talk about, you know, do we need something to the effect of quality engineer, you know, and a product development or R&D engineer? You know, can you maybe revisit that topic since we weren't recording what you were offering it <laughs> So in other words, John, since we are being recorded now, that's a kind reminder of, of, of telling me I have to be careful of what I say. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, so look, it's no secret how I feel about quality as well as design controls. I consider all of this stuff to be ba- very basic or what I call you know, prudent engineering. This is stuff that we used to teach in engineering school back in the day. I'm not sure that we still do. But call me naive, John. I would like to think that a, a product development engineer, and as you and your audience know, I started out in this business a very long time ago as an R&D engineer myself before transitioning to to regulatory. I would like to think that engineers understand not just how quality should be taken into account, but why it's so important. I would like to think that they would understand it to the point that we wouldn't even need, quote unquote, quality professionals. But unfortunately, John, maybe that is a little overly naive. Maybe I did fall off the turnip truck yesterday. How, how would you respond to your own question, John? Am I just living in an ideal world here? Uh, well, I don't think you're living in, in well, you might be, but uh, I don't think that's naive and I don't think you fell off the, the turnip truck. Uh, I, you know, I know sometimes that word quality um, carries baggage, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And yeah, I know it sounds cliche, but quality is our responsibility. And if the things that we're doing within our medical device companies don't have quality front and center, top of mind, highest priority, then one has to question why are we doing it? So yeah, I agree with you philosophically. Uh, I think there's, you know, uh, as many companies have grown over time, I think, 
you know, those functional silos, if you will. Uh, some of them have grown very tall with very thick walls. So we do have some work to do as an organization to realize that quality needs to be pervasive throughout the organization. Anyway, that's probably a whole different philosophical conversation. And I want to get back to or dive into rather this whole idea of design verification and and getting into some of the nuances. So probably a good place to start. Um, these terms, design verification and design validation, uh, they're confusing for folks for, for whatever reason. I, I hear it all the time, just about every day, certainly several times a week, where those terms are misinterpreted or misunderstood or uh, someone is using uh, a description for one, which really applies to others. So that might be a good place to start. What is the intent of design verification and for possibly Sterity's sake, we might as well remind folks what design validation is all about. So let me give you the textbook response, John, and then uh, you and I can talk about the, the pragmatic realities of it. Um, but with the textbook response, the, the, the metaphor that is often used, I'm sure that many in our audience have heard this many times, design verification focuses on the question of, did I design the product correctly? I designed the product correctly, whereas on design validation, the question is, did I design the correct product? Did I design the correct product? So is it? So it's the, um, did I design the product correctly versus the correct product? Um, to be honest with you, John, I think this is such a gross oversimplification, and we can, you know, get into the details of this, yeah. you know, in, in our discussion. But just a quick reminder to 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 our audience that might not be familiar with it: I did a, a webinar for Greenlight just a couple of months ago in June um, on a similar, not exactly the same topic. We can put a, a, a pointer on the website. The webinar was called "Why Design Validation Is More Than Just Testing: How We." How do we validate our validation? You know, one of the things um, that frustrates me a lot about testing, whether we're talking about verification or validation, testing is important in both of those. So many times people are focusing on doing these tests, like, you know, ticking these tests off on the form, but rarely, if ever, do they stop and ask, are we doing the right test? So one of the things I talked about in the webinar, John, is how do we validate our validation? In other words, how do we make sure that we're doing the right test? And an extension to that might be if FDA says that we have to do a particular test, do we actually need to do it? Again, we can get into this, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but no, that's okay. how would you explain to, your, to our audience, John, the difference between verification and validation often referred to in the vernacular as B&B? Yeah, well, I mean, I know you, you, um, you offered that it might be an oversimplification, but you know, I'm a... I'll be honest, I'm a fan of keeping it simple if I can. And but let, I me dive, well. let me dive into the verification piece. Did I design the product correctly? <clears throat> I think a couple of things that are important about that is the lens, if you will, that, that you're looking through um, for that type of activity. This is a little bit more internally focused. This is, uh, you know, if you want to get literal by definition of regulations. This is demonstrating that your design outputs meet your design inputs. I know that for some folks are like scratching their head, like what the heck does that mean? But basically, you know, you go through this whole design process, uh, you extrapolate user needs, you understand what's important to the to the patient, to the doctor, to the nurse, to all those end users, you turn those into requirements, things that are important to articulate about that that particular product, you go through some development process, you come up with 
uh, a design of a device. Uh, you know, oftentimes this is uh, um, done through prototyping, you know, through, you know, just a number of different ways, drawing specifications, what have you. And then your verification is, is showing or demonstrating through some sort of objective means that the device, the, all of those outputs that you've identified actually meet all the individual requirements, all those design inputs that you define. So I think that lens is important. Whereas design validation, did I design the correct product, is less from the lens of a product developer looking back at what was done from a design and development perspective, but more from an end user perspective looking back at, at the problem that you're trying to solve to begin with. So, uh, you know, literally speaking, design validation uh, demonstrates that your product meets your user needs. Your user needs were derived from the problem and your intended use, your, your indications. And, and the, at the end of the, the quote, end of the process, uh, you're validating that that product actually uh, confirms that those user needs have been met. Well, once again, John, you've done a wonderful job uh, with great clarity to explain to our audience uh, what the textbook says. And so kudos to you for doing that. But I think that it's, you know, we really should dig a little bit deeper there because we both have been playing this game long enough to know that it's not always just what the textbook says that's important. So you're right, you know, design verification, as I said, and you said as well, did I design the product correctly to put it in more regulatory terms as you did, but I'm just going to recap for our audience, comparing the output of each design process step with the inputs to that step in order to demonstrate that the results are consistent with the goals. So once again, that's that's the formal words of saying what you just said in you know in your own words. But here's one of many problems that I have with that, John, is um, nowhere in there, and this is what I meant by a gross oversimplification, nowhere in there is there anything about um, asking the question, did we solve the right problem? Or did we ask the right question? In other words, coming from a medical background myself, there's an adage that we use in medicine frequently, uh, the surgery went perfectly, but the patient died anyway. Well, the engineering equivalent of that is we designed the medical device perfectly, but the patient died anyway. The regulatory equivalent of that is we followed the regulation perfectly. We did all that FDA asked us to do, and yet the patient died anyway. So the question to you, John, is where in this whole discussion of verification and validation are those questions taken into account? Did we solve the right problem? Did we ask the right question? Uh, it's a great question. And, you know, it's a really good point because, you know, I can go off uh, very easily on a tangent. Uh, I've seen it many times and, and yeah, uh, not proud to admit this per se, but, but I've done it early on in my career where, you know, you get this idea, this, this problem that, that you think you have an understanding that you're supposed to address. Uh, you, you gather the information on the front end and then you kind of put your head down and you go do it. And then, you know, maybe months, maybe in some cases years later, you pull your head up and you're like, here it is. And, and either the, the market shift or you interpret it wrong. And there's a whole a host of things that can happen. Um, but it's a really good point. I think this is, um, uh, this is key because if I wait, if I get information at the beginning and I wait to the end, which for all intents and purposes, verification and validation are late stage, you know, towards the end of development types of activity, activities, typically, if I wait until then to A, verify that I designed the product correctly, and B, validate that 
that I designed the correct product, but I didn't check along the way, um, pretty good chance I'm going to be way, way off. So um, you have any tips for folks on what they should do to, to account for those types of scenarios? Actually, I do, John. I have a lot of tips. Um, the, I think the best textbook answer in response to my own question, which you just tried to answer yourself of, um, you know, are we solving the right problem? Are we asking the right questions? The textbook answer would be, well, this is part of the user needs. This is up to the user. This is, you know, the, the user is supposed to tell the engineer what problem to solve, and then the engineer figures out how best to solve it. But you see, the underlining assumption of that, John, and this is one of the problems that I have with the, the whole fundamental concept of the design control, something that you and I have talked about in the past, is the, the underlying assumption is that the user knows what they really need. The user knows what the, what the best solution is. And let me tell you, as a, as a former R&D engineer and now regulatory consultant for more than 25 years, I never have made the assumption that the user knows what they really need. They might think they need, they know what they need, but they, they probably don't. And I'll give you a quick example. Uh, this is a very, very simple example coming from the world of evolutionary versus revolutionary product development. Most medical device product development genre is very evolutionary. In other words, we have a catheter, we make it a little longer, yeah. a little shorter, a little fatter, a little thinner, and we turn it into a, a new catheter. And the problem is that the, the whole you know, what we're talking about, whether it's design verification in particular, whether it's design controls and quality in general, is that's, that's fine for evolutionary product development. But when it comes to revolutionary product development, it doesn't really work very well. And here's the reason why. The horse, I'm sorry, the, the car did not evolve from the horse. The light bulb did not evolve from the candle. You can tweak a horse as many times as you want. You're never going to end up with a car. So, it's, you know, today cars are, are, are ubiquitous, but back in the day, there were no cars. So imagine that we're living when there are no cars and we want to come up with a better mode of transportation, right? And keep in mind, everybody is still wearing, um, um, riding horses. So we, as diligent engineers, we ping our, our customers and assess their user needs. We ask them, what would you like to see in a better mode of transportation? Now, again, keep in mind, everybody is riding horses. So most people are going to tell us they want a bigger horse, they want a stronger horse, they want a faster horse, but they're all going to look like horses. How many people are going to say, gee, a horse is okay, but what we really want is a car. So where is that part of the uh, of the equation, you know, where, where does that come in in the whole discussion of design verification and design controls and quality in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, uh, to sound a little cliche and not trying to be flip, but it's like trust, but verify, I, I think is a phrase that kind of comes to mind. So just because you are, you know, fed or you, you uncover this need and, and, you know, you might interview or talk to end users and, and, you know, come up with this fantastic list of user needs and, and all these sorts of things. Um, it's important to, to, um, to stay in touch with your user group, you know, your user audience, uh, I, you know, through, throughout the entire process, you know, you can, you know, follow up, you know, as you, as the, the, as to your words, the product development effort evolves, 
at every single evolution, it's it's good to touch in, touch it with in with your uh, your users, the doctors, the the nurses, you know, even patients if you can. Uh, I think it's important to also consider um, well, what what really are they getting at? Because I think as humans, um, at least in my experience, we're pretty good at articulating um, our problems in the form of a solution. Um, hopefully that makes sense with you and then we can talk about that. But sometimes people will say, to your point in your example, I want a faster horse, Mike. Can you give me a faster horse? And, and if we take that too literal we'll be on the quest to try to make faster horses. We'll get into genetic engineering and, and, we'll, <laughs> you know, and all that sort of thing, which, you know, um, I think it's important to, to maybe ask a few um, why type questions. Well, why do you want a faster horse? Well, I want to get to point A to point B a little bit faster or, or what have you. I want to be able to accommodate my entire family at the same time. You know, so ask, asking the why question, I think can, uh, can get the person to, to, you know, really are better articulate or the, or the users better articulate what it is that they're, why they, why they even want this thing or this idea, what, what is this problem even doing to begin with? I feel like I fumbled with that a little bit. So hopefully there was. No, actually it's a, it's a, it's a tail end, John. I think you, you hit the target uh, right in the bullseye. Um, I think that asking that why question is wonderful advice. Um, It's something that two year old kids are very, very good at. It's something that many people kind of lose the ability to do that, asking that simple why question. Uh, they, kind of, they kind of lose that um, as they get older, which is kind of unfortunate. But look, maybe we should reel our conversation a little back to the, to the reality that most of our audience uh, works in every single day. And let's be honest, much to my chagrin, most people are not working on revolutionary devices. They're working on evolutionary devices. They're working on me too kinds of devices. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the, the bulk of what, what our industry does. So in terms of the design verification, John, what, you know, I, I get questions all the time about uh, following standards and guidances. Yeah. Uh, I just had a conference call with a company this morning. Uh, we're getting ready to do a pre-sub with the FDA in uh, uh, a few weeks. And we had a discussion about which standards do we need to follow, which guidances. Um, uh, what would be your best advice on, on that, that uh, question, John, to begin? Yeah, and, and you briefly mentioned this a little bit ago. I think sometimes when people hear verification and even validation, the the synonym that or a word that a lot of people would use as a, a synonym is this this word called testing. <laughs> um, you know, it, testing, of course, is oftentimes a a big uh, part of verification and validation activities. Um, my experience, my observation is that there's a, an, an overuse of testing, uh, sometimes for, for the sake of, of doing testing. Um, and I think that the, the example that you cited is the, the, uh, the no thought fallback position is, well, the standard says this, so I have to test it that way. Or there's a guidance document that, says that thou shalt do this, so I do that do that this way and, and that sort of thing. So um, you know, I think when it comes to VMV that um I don't think we're always using our heads. Um you know I, I did offer as well that that I like to keep things simple. And you know if you look at at verification, 
and, and, and I am trying to demonstrate that I've designed the product correctly, um, be critical, put some thought into your verification planning activities. Not everything has to be a test. Well, that's a, that's a great start, John. Let me take this opportunity to take it a step or two further. And this whole concept of testing, whether it's in the context of design verification or anything else, could easily be a topic of a separate discussion. And perhaps you and I can, can dig into that uh, in the future. But let me share with our audience uh, a little statistic. And that is one of the most common reasons why submissions, whether it's a 510 k Novo or a PMA or anything else, are rejected by the agency is because the company does a certain set of tests. Let's say you do a dozen tests. And FDA comes back and says, well, we would like to see you do these one or two additional tests. Um, and sometimes those additional tests mean having to do an additional clinical trial to collect that information that they didn't collect before. Bottom line, John, this is a very amateur mistake. This is a rookie mistake. This yeah. is a mistake that can be easily avoided by taking it to the FDA in advance. You know I'm a big fan of the pre-sub process. I do. And one of the things, one of the objectives that I uh, include in virtually all of my pre-subs is a question on the testing matrix. In other words, for the benefit of your audience, one thing you have to understand about the pre-sub process is uh, it's FDA's policy, and I agree with them on this, they do not evaluate the data of your test during the pre-sub. That, that occurs at the point of the actual submission. But what they will review and they should review is your testing matrix, such that I want to present to them a, 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 my, my testing matrix, a list of all of my tests, so that assuming that I pass all of these tests, these tests will be sufficient to demonstrate the safety and efficacy of my device, to demonstrate my label claims, and so on. In other words, what I want to avoid is uh, that common scenario where I do a certain number of tests and FDA comes back and says, well, we think you should do this other test or something. I can go further, John, but I'll give you an opportunity to, to add your two bits on that one. Yeah, and before I add my two bits, uh, I just want to remind folks, I'm talking with Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences. Uh, we're, uh, frankly, we're down in the weeds. I love it. I'm talking about design verification, design validation, design controls. Uh, if you've ever met or talked or listened to anything from me, uh, you've probably picked up by now that I'm definitely a design control nerd. And, you know, that, that design control nerdiness is uh, something that we care a lot about at Greenlight Guru. We've built an EQS platform designed specifically for the medical device industry, and it's designed and developed by actual med device professionals. So, something that, that's really unique in this space. And we built workflows that actually meet the needs of medical device professionals out of the box. It's ready to go. So if you'd like to learn more about how Greenlight Guru can help you with design controls, risks, quality events like cabinets, complaints, and managing all of your documents in one single source of truth, then I would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. All right, so my two bits. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think that's really... Um, well, I'm having a good time with this conversation, first and foremost. I want to <laughs> say that, but um, it's just, um, I think the, the, you said something that was really important. And the thing that, that I thought was really important about what you just said is the putting together your testing matrix or your, your, your plan as part of a pre-submission. <clears throat> now, typically... Uh, I, I don't know exactly if you do a pre-submission 
the same stage or phase uh, every time? I suspect no, but my my gut tells me, uh, especially knowing you a little bit, that that you go to FDA f- as early as as you possibly can, um, so that because this this pre sub is really important. The outcome of this pre sub is really important to set in the direction. Uh, for the company. So you try to do this early. This is my suspicion. Is my suspicion close? Uh, it is very close, John. Uh, right. The short answer to your question is it kind of depends on yeah. at what at what point in the product development process is the company when they come and talk to me. Some sure. companies tend to come and talk to me very, very early in the process, maybe even before they have a prototype. Other companies come to me quite late at the point or maybe even yeah. after the point of design freeze. Okay. And All so, right. uh, but as a general, I'd like to take it to the FDA as soon as we can. But on the other hand, I don't want to take it one day sooner than we're prepared, not just to explain what we're doing, but also what we're not doing. So let's go back to testing yeah. on and especially yeah. design verification testing. Well, I mean, that, I, I was just going to offer that, that distinction is important. And here's, here's why, uh, what I like about that. I think the all too common practice is that product developers and, and, and quality engineers and, and whomever has um, the ultimate responsibility for managing design verification activities, I don't think they're thinking about it soon enough, typically. I think that they're, they're thinking about verification and validation activities very, very late in the process. And in many cases, I think they're thinking about it uh, Oftentimes, as the the design is set or almost at design freeze, and I know that that term has a lot of different meanings, but but um, design verification is is um, sometimes an afterthought. My advice to folks, uh, and I think it it aligns with what you're thinking and how you approach pre subs, generally speaking, is that the time to start thinking about design verification and design validation is. At the beginning, <laughs> it's when you're uh, defining those user needs. You're, you're confirming that you're designing the 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 right type of device for the right type of need, and, and have an understanding of what it is that you're doing. When you're defining requirements, the design inputs for your product. My uh, advice is you have to think about verification early on. Uh, don't wait too late. Well, once again, John, I could not agree more. And in fact, I think what you're describing, if we put the if we put this in a little bit of engineering vernacular, what's the root cause of this problem? What you're describing is a symptom, a superficial manifestation, if you will, of a much deeper problem. And that is how in so many medical device companies, certainly not all, but in many medical device companies, they don't bring regulatory or quality into the process until very, very late in the game in the product development cycle. And this is why I sort of at the beginning of our discussion today, somewhat facetiously, but also seriously, I said, you know, in an ideal world, a product development engineer, an R&D engineer should already have an understanding of the, 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 the quality issues and so on um, so that they can be thinking about that stuff from the beginning. Um, so I could not agree with you more on that point, John. Coming back to presenting this testing matrix, and let's take this, this testing topic a, a step further. Um, when I do a pre-sub, I want to give FDA not just everybody every opportunity to agree with me, but also every opportunity to disagree with me. So when I present my testing matrix, 
it's not just simply a list of all of the tests that I'm planning to do. I also include the tests that I am not planning on doing that some people might think would be applicable for this particular kind of a device or technology. But I'm saying, oh, by the way, these are the tests that I'm not doing, and here are the reasons why. You know, a lot of people, when they go to the FDA, John, and you know I, I work as a consultant for FDA, so I see these from both sides of the fence. Rarely, if ever, do I see people come into the FDA and justify what they're not doing. And to me, that's a huge mistake. So I want to give FDA every opportunity not just to agree that these are the appropriate tests, but I also want to give FDA an opportunity to agree, to agree that these that other tests over here are not necessary in my particular case. Does that make sense, John? Mike, I wish I would have met you 15 years ago. Do you know how many headaches <laughs> you could have helped me uh, not have um, with this type of pro- – because I, I think there is a large preponderance for people just to, to, to do this blindly and just do things because you know they, they perceive that if they don't, then it's, it's going to be a roadblock for them to, to get through that next obstacle or hurdle. Um, yeah, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, and let's take this one step further, yeah, sure. and then I know we're going to get coming to the end here. We're going to have to wrap this up. But let's just take one step further down the testing uh, uh, rabbit hole. Uh, another very common question that people ask me, whether it's design verification testing or anything else, is if they see in a guidance or, or they see in a uh, in the product code description for a 510K device that a particular standard or a particular test needs to be done, do they need to do it? What is your typical response for that, John? If FDA says for this particular type of device that you're working on, we expect that you're going to follow this particular guidance or this particular standard, and somebody asks you, John, as as a quality professional, must I do that test? How would you respond? Well, I I would want to understand the why. You know, uh, why is that test important? And I'd want to get value out of it. Um, I'd want to make sure that it it actually was – was not just a test for the sake of checking a box, but you know, I'm too old to do things that don't add, don't add uh, value. You know, if I'm just going through the motions, then that's just, that's not a good existence. So if, if a regulator said, you know, John, you got to do this test. Uh, I, I would do it in a, a polite and courteous way, but I would try to get an understanding as to why that was applicable and appropriate. Um, Sometimes you're not going to get the answer. (laughs) You you deal with this, right? (laughs) I deal with it all the time, John, and I could not agree with you more. That's very similar to my response. But regrettably, in a lot of companies, they don't take that approach. They just say, well, if FDA tells us we have to do it, then we'll just do it. And, you know, end of discussion. Don't let the door hit you and you know what I'm going out. But as an engineer, that just makes my blood pressure go up. I know. You know, one, you know so, so if a test makes sense, then by all means that we should do it. But if a test doesn't make sense, or if we, make, if we need to make a modification to the test so that it does make sense, then we should go to the FDA. And I do this frequently with companies, John. I say, here's what the, what the regulation, quote unquote, requires. But here's why it's not appropriate or maybe even applicable in my situation. And here's something. Here's what I'm going to do instead. Now, to be to be clear, you're not required to do that uh, as a pre-sub or anything else. You can do it in your actual submission. However, in my opinion, John, 
there are few ways to ensure that your submission is going to get thrown right back in your face than to spring that on your on, on the FDA in your actual submission. In other words, you might as well just put a yeah. red flag over your 510K and say, don't even bother reading this. Just throw it right back at me. So yeah. if you're going to deviate from what's in the regulation, what's in the guidance, what's in the whatever, fine, I have no problem. I do with that all the time. But please take that to the agency in advance of your submission to make sure that they see it that way as well. Would you agree yeah, with that, Todd? I, I totally agree because you know the the worst time to uh, I mean, like I said earlier, the verification, validation, these are late stage activities. And you know, typically what you know, like with something that might, might be a five ten K or you know, a de novo or, or what have you, um, you're sending that information to the FDA often at times, at least post verification. In some cases, you've already got a lot of design validation that's done. And if you decided, oh, well, I'm going to do this this thing over here and that's what I'm going to call that my verification. And then you prepare your submission and send it off to the agency uh, and they don't agree with you um, because this you didn't communicate with them. That's your fault. And guess what? It's going to cause a delay. Uh, right. It's going to mean that, that that market launch that you were anticipating is now pushed back, which, you know, the patients who can benefit from your devices and your technology, they're not going to get your products as soon as you'd hoped. Uh, it also means that you're not going to make revenue on those products as quickly as you'd hoped either. So uh, being a little bit more proactive, uh, doing a little bit of planning, uh, realizing that the, you can collaborate with uh, regulatory bodies these days. It's, it's not, it's not against the law. In fact, it's highly encouraged. Uh, <laughs> it's a good idea. And we're paying our salaries. We shouldn't uh, yeah, forget that absolutely. either. <laughs> absolutely. So listen, as we wrap this up, John, what other important tidbits or words of wisdom shall we share with our audience under this uh, topic of um, uh, design verification or under the broader topic of testing in general? Yeah, well, I mean, we we led this off with talking about design ver- or the 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 working title, if you will, was design verification and the role of the quality engineer in R and D. And we didn't really talk a lot about quality engineering, quote quality engineering as a discipline per se. Um, you know, I, I think everything we talked about is is uh, absolutely applicable, regardless of what adjective you put in front of engineering. Um, but uh, I think sometimes quality engineers, uh, they're probably more testing oriented um, maybe than other types of engineering disciplines. So any final words or tips, pointers for, for those folks that might be in quality engineering roles who, who feel like their existence depends on, on testing? Well, thank you for bringing us back to the title of today's discussion, which you're right, is the, the role of the quality engineer in R&D. And I think actually you touched on this earlier, John. I think a couple of times in today's discussion, you mentioned that verification and validation are often not considered until you know pretty late in the design uh, and development and, uh, process. But you know what, John? I'm not sure if that's actually uh, an accurate statement. And here's what I mean by that. As a former R&D engineer myself, I used to do my own, let me call them quick and dirty sort of verifications um, after each iteration of my prototype design. In other words, if I went in, and and, and perhaps this is is an overly broad uh, interpretation or uh, connotation of the word verification, but if I go to, for example, one of the big trade shows, 
and I'm looking for a new material to make a catheter out of or something like that. And I have a particular vendor that has, you know, a whole bunch of extruded, extruded samples of different uh, polymers with different durometers and so on. And I just go down the table and I pick up, you know, one of a dozen of them and I start bending them and twisting them to kind of see which one is kind of close to what I'm after. Yeah. Can that, can that, can that not be construed as sort of a form of design verification? Certainly not validation, but verification. Or am I pushing the envelope a little bit there, John? Well, I don't think you're pushing the envelope. If if I were to be um, critical, I might call it little V ver- verification instead of capital <laughs> V verification. But you know, it's splitting hairs. I mean, I mean, every step along the way, I need to do. I mean, the 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 uh, Mike Drew's uh, twist and turn tubing test uh, at the the trade show event. Um, you know, that that you might need to to formalize that a little bit to consider that your objective evidence. But nonetheless, I think it's, I, I think it's a precursor. That's what we should be doing as development engineers is we should be uh, prototyping, iterating, you know, messing with different materials. We're trying to prove and demonstrate concepts because, you know, uh, I hope this comes out the right way, but when we get to design verification and we get to design validation, that is a bad time to find out that you made a bad decision uh, or that something isn't going to work the way you, you expected. So f- find that out as soon as you possibly can. If that means going in to the trade show and grabbing pieces of tubing and, and doing uh, you know, a twist and turn and a kink test around your finger to see which material is going to work, then you should do that. Absolutely should do that. Um, the, sure. very, the very last piece of advice as we wrap this up, John, coming back to the title of today's discussion, design verification and the role of quality engineers in R&D. Um, and this goes to the point of, the, of, our, of our fan, at least we do have one person out there that listens to us, um, to, to, to the crux of their question. If you're working in, uh, formally in a company in the role of quality in some fashion or another, if you're not doing so already, I would be highly pushing your company to make sure that you have a seat at the product development table from sure. as early in the process as possible. For sure. One nanosecond after somebody comes up with the idea of that device is not too, is not too early. Um, similarly with, with regulatory, I tell companies all the time, you know, the earlier that I can get involved in the process, the, the better for a whole bunch of different reasons. And regrettably, John, as you and I have mentioned a couple of times today, as well as in previous conversations, that doesn't always happen. You know, regulatory and quality and reimbursement and other things are oftentimes thought of as afterthought. And I think we really need to get those in the product development, um, at the product development table earlier. Some companies do this already, and kudos to those that do, but not everybody does. So that's perhaps the, it's a very simple piece of advice, but it's a, I think it's a very valuable piece of advice for especially the people in our audience who are a little bit younger or maybe a little less experienced to walk away from our conversation today. You know, I can't say anything that's more impactful than what you just offered. Mike, I'm going to let that be the final word today. That was, that was terrific. Folks, I want to thank Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences, as always, for being uh, a frequent contributor on the Global Medical Device Podcast, as well as webinars that uh, we do at Greenlight Guru. In fact, Mike mentioned a webinar that uh, he did a couple of months ago. It's available on demand. 
It's called Why Design Validation is More Than Testing. How do we validate our validation? We'll, I, I will also include a link to that and the text that accompanies this podcast. So be sure to go check that out. And um, just want to remind you all that Greenlight Guru, yeah, we've been doing the Global Medical Device Podcast. It's a hundred and some episodes now. There, the, I, I can't remember the count. Let's somewhere around 120, give or take. But we uh, recently launched a brand new podcast called Med Tech True Quality Stories. So wherever you're listening to this episode, uh, you'll be able to search and find MedTech True Quality Stories. Really great uh, stories uh, that I, I get a part, uh, or the pleasure to be a part of and, and to listen to, hearing about how you know, software as a med device company is leveraging AI and machine learning for breast cancer detection. Uh, hearing a story about how a company, startup company, is developing a novel, unique uh, approach to uh, diagnosing ear infections and, and so much more. So be sure to go check that out. It's really cool. Um, again, thank you so much for being a listener on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Uh, as always, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear.